Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast, and this is episode four. The purpose of this podcast is to destroy the belief that it takes money to make money and to help you build businesses without going into debt. That's all I want to do is help you get going, make your own income, preferably doing something you actually enjoy. Now, the podcast is made up of three different types of episodes. There are, for want of a better name, the educational episodes, such as when the trainers of Pop-Up get together, like Sean and Casey and I got together in episode two and talked about five ways to build a business with no money. And we went through those five different options with the desire to teach you different strategies to start up. The second type of episode are the startup stories. These are past participants of pop-up and incredible entrepreneurs that I have met over the years. And we can learn so much from the real people who have gone out there, built businesses and been successful doing it. And that is what we try to bring you through the startup stories. And the third type of episode is the coaching series. This is where I take people who are just starting up or on varying stages of their startup journey and work to coach them through one of their biggest challenges. The purpose of these episodes is to help you develop the skills and questions that will coach you through your biggest challenges. And by exploring what they're going through, you'll be able to overcome the same problems. So those are the three types of episodes that we've been doing on this podcast. Episode one was with Jonathan of Choose FI talking about the fear of starting up. Two was how to build a business, five ways to get going with no money. And then episode four now is one that I'm really excited about. It is Sean Jenkins, the founder of Benefit Focus and the story of how he built that incredible business. So let's get straight into it. Let's go. And there's a small introduction from me and then you'll hear from Sean. What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast and I have been looking forward to this episode for a long time. One of the things that we see at Pop-Up Business School all the time is people come in to our workshops and our events with a grand vision for what their business will be like. They have this dream of a massive restaurant or a chain of this or a huge business. And what they're trying to do is to jump from where they are now, which is never having run a business, to the perfect vision in one go. And they quite often do that by borrowing a huge amount of money to try and accelerate it. But they're stuck with, how do I get from A to B? And if you look at all the biggest companies in the world, you look at where Apple started. Apple started in a garage or a garage, uh, if you're British, uh, with a couple of people who built it. If you look at Hewlett Packard, it started in a garage just down the road from Apple. Actually, I forced my wife to take a journey around the garages where business started in Silicon Valley. And we went and looked at all these garages and had selfies with them. But I think it's really interesting when you actually find someone who's built an incredible business and you find out how it started. Because most of these businesses never jumped from A to B. They took a whole host of steps in between and wound left and right. 
And with that being said, my guest today is Sean Jenkins, who came up with and built a company called Benefit Focus from scratch to an incredible organization that he did an IPO with and continued to build afterwards. And I'm very honored to have Sean here with me today to talk about this. Hi, Sean. Hi, Alan. It's a real privilege to be with you here today. I've been looking forward to this conversation and just love your work and the entrepreneurial spirit that you have and your enthusiasm, but also the the gift that you give to so many of us entrepreneurs and spreading the good ideas and the enthusiasm. So it's a real privilege for me to be here with you today. I'm so excited and thank you for helping me do that. So just very briefly, let's start with the end and then let's rewind right to the beginning. So where is Benefit Focus today? Sure. Benefit Focus is a Charleston, South Carolina based, which is where we started the company and where where we live. It's a large public company. It'll do a little over $300 million in revenue this year, a massive uh, footprint in the employer benefits and healthcare space. So it's a software as a service platform that allows employees, literally over 20 some million employees use the software to enroll, sign up for their benefits, learn about their benefits be it their health insurance, their retirement programs and whatnot. Literally hundreds of thousands of employers use the platform. And uh, we took the company public in 2013 after founding it way back in 2000, which I'm sure we'll get to. And then I, as the co-founder and CEO, decided to uh, retire early and sort of step away for a couple of years back in 2018. So it's been running on its own uh, with the management team that we promoted and so proud of them uh, for the last couple of years. And it's been a real joy to watch them continue to grow the company as a founder from afar, as you will. The reason for asking you that question is to set the contrast from where did this idea come from and how did you start to having two and a half thousand employees and a giant publicly traded company? So I guess that's the question. When did the idea hit you? Do you know when it hit you? Was it a dream? Was it a spark? What happened? Well, it, it is fun to kind of tie a pin, I guess, in today and then go back in time, almost like an archaeologist and, and uh, sift through where it all started. And as uh, I think most good, probably all good uh, business ideas, it, it began with a bit of frustration and an observation of, boy, this shouldn't be how the world is. There ought to be a better way. And I can take you exactly uh, into the scene of where the seeds of my little early career and, and um, observations around this, this idea of building a, a web-based platform to manage benefits, uh, I can take you right into that spot. Yes, please, because that's what you have just said is the seed of so many businesses which is, I don't actually like the way the world operates now. I want to change it. And we regularly tell people, look out for what annoys you. Because if something annoys you, it probably annoys other people. And there's probably a business in there somewhere. So what you have just said is absolutely the seed of so many businesses. It's a great observation. And so in my situation, my circumstance, I... um was early in my career and I always wanted to own a business. From as young as I can remember, you know, four, five, six years old, I remember thinking, I want to own a business one day. I want to be a business person uh, and, want, and an airplane too, for whatever reason. I wanted to be a pilot and own a business. But I didn't know what kind of business and I kept waiting for that inspiration to come. And it, it really never came in the form of like a uh, big walk on the beach where, you know, doves landed on my head or anything like that. I, I was <laughs> on the other end. I was 
working for a, a gentleman who is now my business partner, and we were doing pension administration. And uh, I was helping his business, doing a little software on the side, and eventually started working more full time uh, with his business, where we handled employer retirement plans like 401k plans, pension plans, profit sharing plans, and, and so forth. I was learning this business. I was doing the technical aspects of it. And then I began to go out into the field and help people enroll in their 401k plans. So I would take these paper forms. We'd have four or five pieces of paper that each employee would have to sign up for. And I would go out into these businesses here in Charleston uh, and hold these retirement plan meeting. So we would talk about, here's a 401k. This is what a match is. This is what eligibility is. This is the funds that you have. And I wasn't on the investment side. I was just more the administration. And I would hand out the paper forms to the you know 15 or so people in the room. And I, I clearly remember doing this in the back of a grocery store chain here in Charleston, Piggly Wiggly. And I was in the Piggly Wiggly and you know everybody had to come off the floor and go to this meeting. And no, no one really wanted to go to a meeting like that. They just wanted to get their work done. And so I'm this guy that's like in, interrupting their, their daily schedule. And they have milk crates flipped upside down and they're sitting on them. And I'm talking about, you know, 401ks and matches and save for retirement. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of funny to even think about now. But the real issue came is when I handed the forms out, people had to fill them out and that took a little while and they had to ask, you know, where do I sign and what funds should I pick and that kind of thing. But then I would put these forms back in a folder and I would get my little, uh, had a little Toyota Tacoma pickup truck at the time. I'd get my little pickup truck and I would drive these forms back to the office. And then when I get back to the office, I had to open up this folder and I'd sit down at a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet and I had to start typing, you know, the names of the people in Social Security number, what funds they wanted, what their, you know, how much they wanted out of their paycheck to be uh, saved. And, and accuracy, as you can imagine, was paramount because it had to get loaded up into the payroll system. So, you know, you have these paper forms, they're being keyed into a spreadsheet. There's a big risk of manual error. Then the spreadsheet has to go back over to the company's payroll. And this is one customer, one meeting. Uh, in their case, they had hundreds of stores. And so I had to do this over and over and over again. We were a small staff. It's just a handful of us working at this company. And in there is the seeds of me on one of those drives back to the office going, this sucks, man. They're, they're, <laughs> There has got to be a better way. Like, I cannot do this. Not for the rest of my life. I hear people talk about, I don't want to do this job for the rest of my life. I couldn't do it for another three months. You know, um, I loved the company and the people I was working with. And I love the customers. And I love the idea of helping people with their retirement and their financial stuff. But the administrative burden of paper forms and spreadsheets and uploads just was, you know, I mean, you can still hear it in my voice today. So that was the seed of there's got to be a better way. How could we possibly do this better? And thus the idea for what if we built an application that you could do this yourself, you know, self-service enrollment? What if you could just log on to a system, uh, use the Internet? Uh, this was in the late 1990s. So as the dot-com bubble was spinning up, I was having this frustration experience at work. And I thought, well, maybe we could use the Internet to solve this rather old, archaic paper forms problem. And thus it began. I love that. What an incredible story. I think one thing I'd love to have your thoughts on is there are so many people who are employees right now that have to do painful processes every single day in businesses that they think 
that's just the way life is and they don't think to change it. And it's a very rare individual that goes, business doesn't have to be this way. There must be a better way. What actually drove you to create this change? Like, do do you get what I'm saying? There's so many people, millions of people stuck in jobs they don't like who don't think to improve it. So where did that come from? (laughs) I think it was, I have to reflect here, but I think it was pretty selfish. I didn't want to key in a bunch of paper forms. The thought of the hours and the inaccuracy and getting yelled at if I typed in something wrong and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and the, and the labor involved, I thought, oh my goodness, then, you know, how long it's going to take me to do this work. So in a sense, it was self-preservation or selfishness, or it could even <laughs> been a, a little bit of blend of laziness. You know, I think when entrepreneurs get this credit for being these amazing people that get up in the morning and work out and eat all the right food. And then they go to work and do this amazing work. And then they come home and read and do more work. And in my case, it was the opposite. I like to sleep in a little bit. I like to take it easy. Um, I didn't mind working hard when needed. And I loved creating things. I just kept thinking, I can't do this for the long period of time that it's going to require to get all this work done. So it it was a very practical, let me see if I can build something that would do this for me and and actually make it better for the employees and the employer. And I always wanted to have a business. And so I think there was probably some chemical reaction in my subconscious going, hey, there might be something to this, uh, this rather selfish desire. I love that. So I'd like to call out an action for any of our audience right now is over the next two weeks, every time something annoys you at work, in what you do, write it down. Because in those annoyances, there is the germ, there is the seed of an idea that can grow into an incredible business. I think that's the action that we should all take. It's actually where my business came from as well. But then the question becomes, you've had this seed of idea, you want to change things. What happens next? Well, there was a a dream or a you know wake up in the middle of the night moment and it came after you know a number of months of doing this manual task and learning this new industry and and uh, I literally sat up in my bed one night and had a you know sense of a I don't know I always thought of it as somewhat of a divine inspiration or, or or whatnot and I pulled out a notebook that I had nearby and I wrote down eight pages of notes which became this idea and it began with you know, you're going to create a, a large platform to do uh, benefits enrollment it's going to have a, a notion of data exchange touchscreen computing is going to be important because I had been interacting with a lot of uh, you know kind of blue collar workers people paving roads working in stores. Uh, manufacturing and whatnot. And so I knew that we would need to create a way to to make it simple for people. This is late 90s or mid 1990s before, you know, the phones and stuff that we have now. So I had these notes and um, I wrote this down and then I kept it. I still have it today. Matter of fact, I have it right here in my library Um, and I've carried it around for, I guess, 20 some years now. It took about five years from when I had the idea and this sit up and make notes in my journal to actually founding the company, which I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs. The the speed from idea to forming a company can be frustrating or debilitating or make you question the idea. In my case, I had lots of other things going on. I I was doing multiple jobs. I I, uh, was building my career. And I, I didn't know that the idea at the time was going to be necessarily the business that I would start eventually. I knew it was an interesting idea. 
so I kept coming back to the journal. I'd think about it, but the time wasn't quite right. I was uh, eventually bought part of this pension administration business from my business partner because I, I kept telling him, I got to own a business. I got to own a business. I can't just work for somebody. And so he sold me part of his business. And you know, we worked on that and, and built that business up. And eventually uh, we were able to bring this idea to life which became the company that we now know as as benefit focus but it was five years from pencil paper journal to incorporating in the state of south carolina i love that so we're going to come back to the five-year gap uh something i just want to pick up before that is the waking up in the middle of the night with the idea something that i have noticed is that when i spot a problem or an issue with a business I then start asking the question, how do you solve it? And my mind goes off and works at it in the background. And then all of a sudden, at a random time, whether it is in the middle of the night, in the shower, uh, on the bathroom, wherever it is, it brings forward an idea. And I wonder whether you think that's what happened with you, that the brain was churning in the background and then all of a sudden, bang, it presents you with the idea that comes forwards. Uh, I think it's a great way to think about it. I've journaled for years, even through college, and I, it helps me to reflect on my circumstances in life. So I, I like to go for walks and listen in nature. I, I like to you know, make notes. And what I've learned prior to this, you know, having this business idea and writing it in a journal is I, I do um, benefit or benefits me to write out my problems, write out my ideas, write out my inspirations. And then what I have done is I've looked for how often they repeat. So sometimes I'll have an idea and it, I'll never hear about it or never see it again. And it's just gone. But many times I'll have an idea or maybe there's an issue that I'm working on and it continues to show up in my journal. And that's my brain, as you say, my subconscious working on it in, in the background. So when I had this up in the middle of the night, eight pages of notes, pretty, you know, very detailed, actually, I felt like it was very special, but I was also comfortable setting it aside for a while and just seeing like, I don't know, you know, maybe it will become something. Maybe, maybe it is a powerful thing. Maybe it was, you know, destiny for it, for it to come, but I wasn't afraid to take a little distance from it too. Cause I felt like if it was that special and it was that purposeful or, you know, the intent was there that it would come back around and it did, it kept coming back around every six to eight months or nine months. I'd, I'd interact with it again, and then it would go away for you know six or eight or months. I remember there was about a two-year gap in there where I hardly even looked at it, I hardly even thought about it, uh, and then it came rushing back. And when it came to life, it was it was uh, spectacular. There was a whole conversation we could have about journaling, getting your ideas down, inspiration, but we will put a pin in that for later. Let's come back to the the five-year gap between idea and startup. You said there were different periods in there, but what did you do for five years? Was that idea burning all the way through? And what was the actual catalyst to get it going at the end? And how much preparation did you do to start? Yeah, and I've actually even thought about, you know, in retrospect, why did I wait five years? I mean, I've even asked myself this exact same question that you're asking me, and I don't. I, I wonder... <laughs> if my confidence wasn't quite there. So I wanted, always wanted to have a business and now I had an idea uh, and clearly there were some great dot-com or internet companies being built in the you know, middle to late nineties, Amazon, for example, and, and, and that type of thing. But I ended up setting the idea aside, 
tinkering with it a little bit on the side. I was working at this pension firm prior to having bought part of it from my now business partner. And I actually wanted to get into programming more. I wanted to write software. I didn't have that as an education. I was self-taught. I was buying books in Barnes and Noble on Oracle databases and whatnot. And uh, I think I needed to see myself as a programmer in a professional context. So I actually quit my job, quit working uh, with my business partner, went and got a programming job, moved to another city, went to work for Rockwell up in Greenville, South Carolina. And I was in the programming scene for the first time in my life. It was thrilling. I was learning all sorts of things about how to do releases and, and whatnot. But I quickly missed the more entrepreneurial spirit. So I found myself in this very large company. There were tremendous people there, but it was not for me. I mean, I, I was just an entrepreneur through and through, and it was so rigid and, and structured. Uh, I did that for a year, just one year. And then I left and went back to work with uh, my partner, Mason. After coming back to work with him, uh, we worked out a deal where I bought part of the company from him. I still had the, the software idea, the benefits enrollment, but we were so busy building this pension administration firm, uh, I began to work on 401k enrollment just as a, a service for our customers. So I applied that frustration to not necessarily a start a new business, but more just how can I make our processes more automated? How can I provide tools? Uh, the first thing we built was a voice response unit where you called an 800 number and you put your social security number into a telephone. Uh, and then the telephone would read back to you your 401k balance and tell you, you know, you're in the Vanguard Index 500 fund. Um, so I knew about that fund long before the <laughs> uh, financial independence movement. So it was a, a series of, I guess, self-exploration, confidence building, learning more technology, trying a couple different things, taking some risks, you know, quitting a job, going back to a different job. It was a bit of bouncing around. And I had moments uh, where I would be concerned for myself because I thought, gosh, can I even keep a job? You know, am I going to be perpetually unhappy with all these different job experiences? Uh, and then I had that burning desire to start a business in there, but I wasn't even sure how to do that. You know, I had an idea, but I wasn't doing it. So there was a fair amount of, I don't know, circular thinking or just trial and error. It wasn't real elegant, but clearly it all worked together to create the synthesis, if you will, that ultimately became the beginning of a, a powerful business idea. One of the things you said to me before was about learning the skills you needed to start up. What do you think are the key skills someone needs to start a business? And how did you go about acquiring those for yourself? Sure. Well, one of the projects that I did was I taught myself how to sell. And I always felt like learning to sell or selling your product was going to be key to owning a business. And this is actually before I had the idea, before I you know, worked on this benefits uh, arena. Uh, and I took a two-year window prior to that, and I went and uh, sold different things. Uh, I wanted to have 100% commission jobs. I wanted to do at least three different types of sales, and I wanted to do it for a two-year period of time. And I thought, this will be important for me to start a business someday to know how to sell or at least know that I don't know, or I'm not very good at sales and learn how to hire salespeople, <laughs> or perhaps I'm so inept at it and so bad at it that I won't ever start a business. So I, I wanted to kind of do a trial and error period there. And so I did two years of sales. I sold copiers, I sold computers in a retail environment, and then I sold cars. Uh, ended up being good at each of those in different ways. Uh, the outside sales, cold calling was very difficult for me. 
uh, and I compensated that by using friends to get me in the door and whatnot. But uh, that sales experience ended up being extremely important to me as I started a software company, very different type of sales, but I relied on a lot of the things that I learned there. So sales is critical. Finance, of course, understanding how to read financial statements or just cash flow or how a business operates, like what is the guts of it? I learned that through working at a nonprofit uh, right out of college. And then this programming exercise that I did where I actually quit my job and went to work for a a big company as a programmer analyst after teaching myself database administration and database design. Those three elements became central to my confidence. Uh, and then I, I relied on them you know, for years and years after that. I love that. I just think it's a phenomenal story how you went out and consciously learned sales. Because on our courses, we talk about sales bringing in the blood supply for your business. If there's no sales, there is no business. And actually, that's the scariest bit for people when they're starting up is how do I get the first sale? What if I get rejected? How do I go out there? It was the scariest bit for me. And when you said about photocopier sales, I had a photocopier sales job. I found it incredibly painful. And they told me I had to go out into the high street and knock on businesses' doors and just go in and make friends. I remember being outside in the sunshine. I picked a sunny day so it would make me feel better about going out and selling. But building up the confidence to just walk into someone's store, walk into someone's business and say, hi, I'm Alan, that petrified me at the time. How did, did you ever have that? How did you overcome it? Do, do you still get it? What happens? Yeah, that's a great point. And I thought about this kind of self taught sales experiment really is what it was. I wanted to have different types of sales and I wanted to try outside sales. I wanted to sell different products. The first thing I did was sell copy or excuse me, computers and retail. People walked in the door and I had a great manager and I really learned how to sell. And if people walked in and asked me for my help, I found that I was quite good at it mm. and I enjoyed it and I made good money. The second job was copiers where I went out and sold it's not an overstatement to say it was debilitating. It was terrifying. Even as a kid, I always had really difficult time going to school. The first day of the new school year, my mom had to take me in. I would throw a fit and cry and oftentimes couldn't get through that. To this day, I still have a lot of social anxiety about going to places where I don't know people or going into rooms. So as I did the uh, copier sales, that surprised me how thick that brick wall was. I, I would drive my car with my little brochures up to a real estate office or a doctor's office. And I, I physically could not get out of the car or I'd get out of the car and I'd walk up to the stairs of the building and I couldn't go in. I just could not go in or I'd wait for someone else to be going in and I would act like I was with them, almost like an emotional, you know, for them to carry me across the threshold. And I would just be paralyzed. So what ended up happening, I did this for six months. Uh, I did have a couple sales, uh, but they were mainly deals that were already in flight in my territory that I inherited. And my manager was trying to make me successful. But uh, I gained a lot of weight. I sat in my car and ate and um, drank soda, listened to the radio. And then I would come back into the office and pretend like I was out making calls and just, you know, didn't know why anyone wasn't calling me back. It was painful. It was humbling. But somehow I knew that the experience was benefiting me. It wasn't benefiting me financially because uh, it, was, it was a difficult time. It was 100% commission. 
but the company I work with, you know, they, they provided a lifeline to me as I was in my learning, learning period. I think the biggest thing I took away from it, separate from the personal learning was empathy. Mm. So after starting my company and we began to hire salespeople, I had an empathy for their work and the way they had to go out and do what they did, cold calls, you know, interrupting people's lives and, and pushing the product in. And that empathy stuck with me uh, all the way through, and I still have it today. And also, it taught me how to, if you can't physically go in and introduce yourself to someone because of that anxiety or whatever, whatever you would consider that, uh, there are other ways to generate leads or generate activity. So marketing or PR. And I ended up spending an enormous amount of resource on creating inbound activity and relational connections and referrals so that I effectively never had to make another cold call the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) So I think just for the audience, inbound and outbound marketing, inbound is where you do something that generates a customer calling you. The lead comes in Outbound is where you go out to the customer. So you are calling, ringing, phoning, driving to them, going to a networking event. That's outbound. I had a very similar experience. Outbound scared me and I found painful. I never quite found how to make inbound work for me. I had to push through to make outbound work because I never figured out inbound. And actually, My experience at the very start was the inbound work that I did at the very start didn't really produce results. The outbound was where the results were. And it's only after years of doing it that the inbound actually started to happen and work. What's your experience between the two? Where the results came from? What happened? Was there a shift over the time you did it? Yeah, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I guess in my situation, the the fortunate thing was we were able to take a first customer that we got through a relationship from our existing business, our pension administration business. And we had a couple of customers try the new software. So in those cases, the first prospects or customers for Benefit Focus, this new company that we started, were folks that we already knew, or at least somebody that we knew knew them. And they had a sense of what we were doing And my ability to go into a room where someone was warm to the idea, the contrast was so stark. If they didn't want me there and they didn't know why I was there and I had to kind of break the ice, I was literally unable to do it, just could not do it. I've never been able to overcome that. However, if they had some warm up to the idea and they had some relationship, there was someone that knew them. And if I was with somebody, the other thing that I ended up doing is and still do this today, is I take someone with me, take my family with me or some friend from work. And if I can go into a room where somebody else is with me that brings some social comfort, then it doesn't take too many minutes before I'm able to articulate the ideas that we have, the needs that we'll solve, the problems that we solve for the business. So I guess it was just a, a series of those early meetings concocting enough schemes where people would be with me or someone would know about us. And then from there, the entire sales and marketing model was built off of referrals. Mm. So take a customer, take care of the customer, never lose a customer, anything the customer needs, incredible service, anticipatory services, we refer to it, build great products. 
And then I would just camp with that customer and beg them essentially to introduce me to their friends and <laughs> set up a warm lead uh, so that I could then go talk to someone that they knew under favorable circumstances. And even better, would they go with me or would they co-host the meeting? You know, I would have them invite their peers to their office to see our software in production, which might sound like a brilliant marketing or sales strategy, but to me, it was overcoming my personal fears. I could operate in their building because I'd already been in there. And if their friends were coming in to see what we were doing with them, uh, we set up the room and have food and make it all nice and warm and effectively creating a safe place for myself. So I would <laughs> hyperventilate, pass out in front of them. You know? <laughs> I love that, that you turned something that was for you into something that benefited the customers as well. And I think I want to say thanks on behalf of the audience for sharing these stories, because I think quite often the giant icons of business are held up there as infallible, confident, strutting people who go out and make it happen despite any of this. And actually, the reality is we're all human and we have insecurities, fears, things to overcome. And I'd love the audience to take right at this moment it doesn't matter what your insecurities, fears and things, there is a way to overcome them. There is a way to make this happen if you want to. Yeah, completely. And I, you know, I've consumed so many business books and interviews and, and, and now podcasts. And I love getting scraps of information that will help me be successful in, in whatever I'm, I'm doing or our teams are doing. But at the same time, I always had this sense of, gosh, these people are perfect. You know, they, mm -hmm. they get up in the morning early, like we were talking about earlier, or they, they're not afraid of things. Like, I'm afraid of all these things, of meeting new people or going into rooms and, and whatnot. And it, it is nice to know, uh, as you get to know more and more business people, that, you know, everybody's got their issues, right? They've got the things they're afraid of. They get the things they're not particularly terrific at. Um, whether it was in you know some area of schooling or whatnot that was not their strong point, and the um, you know the story of my career is I just happened to not be willing to give up, and even though I'm nervous about new situations, for some reason I'm comfortable enough of putting myself in them at least to try them long enough to figure out how to compensate. So I'm always looking for a way to compensate for whatever issue. I might have or my company might have uh, so that we can live to see another day. I love that. One of the concepts we've come up with a pop-up is about sitting in discomfort and your ability to accept the feelings and emotions that you're feeling and sit in them for long enough to do what's next. Like it directly is proportional. The number of uncomfortable moments you can sit in is directly proportional to the success you will have. How did you become comfortable sitting in discomfort? Well, yeah, I grew up in a single mom household and we had concern for resources and, and money for, for years and, and everybody has their adversity. So my story is no different than yours or anybody else's. We, we all have things that we've overcome. But I just got to, I guess, a place where I was willing to take near-term pain to create a future where I didn't have to experience that any longer. And a lot of it was financial. So, you know, I, I wanted to build a business so that I could provide for my family so that we didn't have to worry about some of the things that I worried about. And as I got on that road, I would identify the most 
or the biggest roadblock between where I was right now and, and what I felt like the next level was that I needed to get to. So early on, it was, I don't know how to sell. So I, you know, I did that sales experiment. Then it was, I don't know how to program software, but I want to be in the software field. So I'll quit my job and go write software. And then it became a pattern that was probably born out of necessity or maybe even a lot of fear or whatnot. And I learned over time to make it work for me, effectively like a tool that wasn't really made for that particular job, but I, but I was able to use that, identify the next biggest obstacle, even though it makes my stomach sick to think about addressing it and then just put myself into it and then find people that know how to do it and get around them and beg them to help me. Uh, and then just close my eyes and wait till it's over. <laughs> Doesn't sound that glorious right now, you know. I don't know. I don't know if we're inspiring people to start a business right now or or making them run for the exits. We'll see. Time will tell. But uh, I think it's, it's that funny. realism, uh, and I think it's so important because so many of the business shows out there are rah rah rah. We can do this, and it's all pumped up. And then you go outside the door, and you get hit by the reality of the situation, and you go, "Oh shoot! Yeah, uh, this is well, not what I was expecting." It's fascinating to me. You know, I've taken the last two years off of this, you know, this business and this career and whatnot. And of course, I love being around entrepreneurs, and so you know, business people, startups, and so forth will call, or I'll have coffee with them, or I'm working on a couple of projects, and I'll be meeting with these entrepreneurs, and they'll, you know, they'll be looking for that rah 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 or that three point plan, or you know, give me the five points to success or whatnot. I'm just sort of scratching my head, like, well, here's what I would do: close your eyes, think of yourself in a big house with a lot of rooms in it. And then mentally think of the room that's the darkest and the scariest that you know the least amount about and you're the most embarrassed because you don't have that. It might be financial, could be sales, could be whatever. And then open your eyes and run to that room and open up the door and just throw yourself inside. Like that <laughs> is the strategy that has worked for me. Uh, where's the darkest, scariest room where I feel the most incompetent? And let me just walk in there and see what happens. Because that's the quickest way to get rid of that issue right it is absolutely the quickest way to get rid of that issue is to jump in the uh, deep end and quite often the consequences of jumping in the deep end are not actually that bad because you think of the pool analogy and you think well i might drown but if it's finances that scare you and you jump in the deep end the worst thing that can happen is you learn how much you don't know and then anything is an improvement so i think the fear comes from the fear of it going really wrong, but actually the consequences of diving into sales are you get rejected. And well, if that's the worst thing that happens to you today, it's probably a reasonable day. So I think I love that strategy of diving into that corner, that dark space. I have not done it out of a joyous motivation at times. I've done it out of a motivation of if I don't do this, I'll never get to where I get to. And actually, my motivation has been away from quite regularly. If I can't sell, I don't have a business. If I can't manage money, I won't have a future. If I can't get up and present, I can't have a training business. And that has quite regularly been my motivation. What's behind this? What motivates you, Sean? What's been the motivation for this? Well, as I said early on, it was fear of lack or fear of not having you know, the resources you know, for my family, but then eventually for our business. And I, and I knew it was a, you know, kind of a blend of 
healthy and unhealthy. And you know, if I worried about money too much or cash flow or whatnot, it, it really consumed me and it put me back in that childhood years where, I, where we'd worry about things. My hope was eventually uh, I would grow through that or out of it. And so I've used it and sometimes it used me a little bit. But uh, uh, over time, I learned to transition from fear of not being able to provide for myself or my family and turned it into a phrase that I used a lot, which was providing for families and and developed it into a bit of a cultural uh, social mission for our company. Now, we happen to be in the employee benefit space, providing for families as part of your compensation, health insurance and you know uh, retirement programs and life insurance and all these great tools that that help people. And so I would talk to our product folks or our, our engineering team, our sales team, or anybody in the company about you know, what we're doing at Benefit Focus is we're helping people provide for their families. We're helping folks when they go to bed, they don't have to worry. You know, If somebody gets sick in the family, they're going to lose their house. Or when they go to bed, they're going to have a, a peace of mind that they understand how their retirement's going to work out. So I took and I intentionally worked on this and listened from my own language. And I, I worked with a great group of people that were very candid with each other and they're brilliant folks. And, and, and so I would say, Hey, listen out for when I slip into, you know, fearful Sean mode and help me not stay there very long. And let's turn this into a more optimistic view of the future of how our products and services can help in now, you know, millions and millions of people provide for their families. I didn't run away from the seed of that motivation. I thought that it would be interesting to try and use it to turn it into something that would be beneficial to me and my family and our community and our business, as opposed to like chopping it off or pulling the roots out of my soul or whatnot. I, was, I couldn't get rid of it. I mean, it was part of who I am. It's still to this day. I, I you know, want to make sure that I take care of people that are around me. Now it's not from a fear motivation. It's more from a motivation of just good business or just good social mission. So the why of the business came from originally you wanted to provide for your family and then it led to providing for the families that worked for you, with you, around you and for the families of the customers and protecting them. So that one mission lines up through the whole business. Yeah, well said. And it only took me 20 years to be able to figure that out. You did it in about four minutes there. So thank you very much for uh, It's for easy that. when you look at someone else's business. Uh, mine took me at least six years at pop-up to finally be able to go, okay, here's why we're doing it. Here's what it is. And that mission now drives me through everything I do. But it took me many years to figure that out and find my motivation. And I just kept telling everyone the same thing. And eventually, after I'd told enough people and enough people had stared at me blankly, and then I tried saying it in a different way and in a different way, eventually I said it in a way that clicked for me and for them. And my motivation became clear and I was out there doing it. But you're right, it took years of repeating it, pitching it, saying the vision before it became clear. Yeah. And, and there's this really powerful element of collaboration and, and teamwork. So, you know, I'm a co-founder, you're a co-founder. We we have a strong sense of where these ideas came from. And now in reflection, we can certainly see them better. And what was really enjoyable about the process was watching people come join the company in you know leadership capacities or technical capacities and all different levels of the business. 
joined for the cultural aspects, the way we ran the business, the core values, and then not trying to like impose my view of the perfect outcome of the company on folks, but collaborating with people and, and watching their own stories, you know, their childhood hopes, dreams, and fears uh, weave into the story. Uh, and it became this, you know, really wonderful culture that was built, which was, you know, eventually from thousands and thousands of people that work at the company uh, over time. And each one of them has their fingerprints on what the company becomes. So, you know, there's this, it's almost like a an unnecessary burden we as entrepreneurs put on ourselves to create everything in the company or come up with all the ideas or have all the inspiration. And what I found was the most joyous was putting myself into it, being bold with my hopes, dreams, aspirations, fears, even, and and pushing myself to, you know, be excellent at, at my work. But then watching everyone else throw themselves into it as well and standing back and looking at what the company was becoming and has become. And now even to be able to see it from even a couple of years of distance uh, and still see those same values, those same beliefs uh, with new ideas and new products that are developing. It's completely wonderful experience and something that I hope anybody who has a desire to start a business or be part of a startup team you got to go for it. You got to try it. You got to put yourself into it because it will pay you back way more than you can ever put into it. I feel like I want to clip that last sentence and just put it as the advertisement for this entire podcast. Beautifully said. The question I wanted to ask next was, things have changed over the years. Life has changed dramatically. The way we operate has changed dramatically. If you were to start a business now or you were had someone sat in front of you who wanted to start a business, what would you say to them? You've got this brand new entrepreneur. They've got all their hopes and dreams. What would you say to them? Get started. You know, a good plan today is better than the best plan tomorrow. And the single biggest determination in anybody's success, any business, is they just, you have to get started. So getting started might mean, in my case, it's a software business. So starting to write some software, starting to create a product. It might be drawing it up on screens and getting a consultant to help you begin begin to build it. But you got to get started. You got to get in the game because your your ideas, the uh, pressure that's that's necessary to be placed on your brain for your best ideas to come out, those won't come until there's some deadline. There's some you know future event that's happening. Some prospective customer that's going to meet with you or some you know, investor or advisor or, or partner. Getting started is the most important step. It sounds obvious. You just got to take the step. And I know that you provide that advice and counsel uh, in the pop-up school that we hosted here in Charleston, but just also watching you and in, in seeing your presentations, you're passionate about encouraging people to get started. And I, I echo that. The other thing that I learned over time was to put my passion, desire, values into the business and put those ideas forward. And that happened a lot of ways early on from core values printed on the back of our badge and whatnot. But I had one interesting experience that really summed this up for me. And it was 13 years after we started the business. So it was 2013. We started on a focus in 2000. And in 2013, we were getting ready to go public and we had been working for a year on our IPO and all the bankers and the attorneys and, and, and so forth. 
the Friday before we were to go to New York, um, we were going out. We were going to be one of the first IPOs to come into the fall class of IPOs in 2013. And, and we were to go on Wednesday morning, fly to New York and start the roadshow. And on this Friday, one of the senior bankers stopped by my office, actually came into Charleston to visit with me. Um, I was excited, nervous, not sure you know what was about to happen with this whole IPO roadshow. And this uh, friend banker came by, part of the banking team that, that put our IPO together. And we're sitting there in my office casual. I'm wearing a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. And and um, he's asking me how I'm feeling. And we're talking a little bit. And he, he just paused for a moment. And he said, Sean, the one thing I could tell you about your IPO and your roadshow is you've got to tell them what's important to you. You got to tell them about your passion and the culture at this company. He said, I've seen a lot of companies. I've, I've been a part of a lot of IPOs and there's something special about the culture of benefit focus, about the values, about the people, about the social mission that you're on, the way you carry yourselves, the excitement, the celebration. And you've been studying all the technical aspects of an IPO. You've been preparing the numbers. You know all the questions that you're going to get answered. And when you get out there, I don't I don't want you to forget to just tell them why you're doing what you're doing. Like, why did you start this company or what's important to you? What's important to the people that work at your company? What you know, what do you, your customers love about it? And I, I thought, wow, what a odd piece of advice. You know, I, I hadn't really <laughs> thought about it that way, but it sunk in. And thankfully, I uh, took that advice and I went out and we had somewhat of an unconventional roadshow. I talked mostly about core values and things and our IPO ended up being just wildly successful. So that advice at that moment would be the same thing I would say to a founding, you know, a founder of a company who's about to start. What's important to you? What are your values? What do you think about? Why would you want to do this? And Man, put that into the business. Talk about it all the time. When you're recruiting, when you're selling your products, when you're building your products, late at night when things are broken, talk about what's important to you and why you want to do this and put it out there. Because uh, as this gentleman said, if you don't tell them, they will never hear it. And this is your chance. And so I would say that to the founders who are out there or the leadership teams or anybody that's part of a young company. If you don't talk about it, if you don't say what's important to you, no one will hear about it. And so put it out there and be bold. That's one of the best pieces of advice. And that is where I think we should end is that rallying call. Go out there and tell people why you're doing this. And I think that's something we have struggled at at Pop-Up Business School. We just get on and quietly do what we do. And we don't always talk about the why and the culture and the values. It's something we need to work at. It's something that I've learned the more that I do, the more success that comes. And I love that. So there's the rallying call for every entrepreneur that's listening to this. Work out your values, your why, what you're doing, and tell everyone. Sean Jenkins, the advice, the insight that you've given us is like oxygen for new entrepreneurs. I love that. Thank you so much for being on the show. And like we haven't even touched some of the stories that you've got and some of the inspiration. So over the coming years, I would love to have you back on the show and to share some of the wisdom that you have stored up over the years. And all I can say is thank you. This has been incredibly valuable for me, let alone the audience. Alan, thank you so much. It's, it's just a pleasure to talk with you and 
and a lot of fun to hear uh, your stories as well and just share them and the work that you're doing and helping all of us entrepreneurs and encouraging us. I mean, heck, you got me wanting to start another business. I'm just so excited about uh, being around you. So thanks for having me on. And I can't wait to see how your podcast grows. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. That was Sean Jenkins. And I'm now going to talk to you a little bit about the key points I'd love you to take from that and the next action I'd like you to do. I am sat in the garden in Sandhurst in Berkshire on lockdown and I've decided to record this outside so you might hear a few birds chirping in the background. Now, one of the things I'm so impressed with Sean about is the way he had the idea and then intentionally went on to work about it. And I think you can hear from him, there's one of the key things he does is to journal. So he writes his ideas, he writes his thoughts, he collects and he deeply thinks about what he's doing. And I found journaling to be an incredibly valuable exercise. So one of the things I'd love you to take away from this podcast episode is journaling and writing about your ideas. Every day, write in your journal about what you could do with your business, the ideas you have, where you could go and start to deeply think on paper. I love to do this. I love nothing more than in the morning sitting outside with a pot of fresh copy and typing and writing and thinking on paper. I find it incredibly valuable and it helps me to get my thoughts out and develop where I'm going. And I would suggest that it's a great thing for you to do as well. Second thing I'd love you to get from this episode is the intentionality that Sean had as he put his business together. Because he had that idea five years before he actually launched. But what I think is incredible is that he went off in those interim years and got jobs that would help him build the skills that he needed to launch that business. So he took commission only sales jobs. And those are some of the most tough sales jobs you will ever get. He took a commission-only sales job, and that's one of the things he and I have in common, is that we have both sold photocopiers over the years. And he learnt sales, which is, I don't care what business you're launching, sales is the engine that's going to drive the blood, the cash flow through your business, and sales is critical. He then went off and got software engineering jobs and worked in software businesses to learn that. And he intentionally, over the years, built the skills ready to launch his business. And the bit here I would love to say to you is that people vastly overestimate what they can achieve in a year and they vastly underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. And Sean had this long-term plan for his business. He wasn't going to build Benefit Focus overnight. It was a long journey and he took it as such. He had the idea, he developed it and he worked over the years to do it. And I have fallen foul of this in the past where I have this idea, I'm going to build a huge training business and launch and get going. And I think it's all going to happen in under a year. And then you get six months in and you go, ah, it's not worked. And that kills my motivation. But I think the thing that Sean did so well is to work over the years. And what I would suggest that a lot of you listening to this podcast have incredible dreams and ideas that you've put on the back burner because you've tried for a few months and they haven't worked. Whereas actually what you needed was consistent focus over time. And I think it's the compounding of actions that happen over the years that really build incredible things. 
I've been building Pop-Up Business School for eight years now. And if you add in Simon's effort, Henry and the rest of the team at Pop-Up and compound that over eight years, we've built an incredible business. But it didn't happen overnight. In the first year, we weren't traveling around the world helping people to start up. It took time and energy and effort, and we had to continue doing it. So what I want to say to you is don't give up on your dreams if they don't happen within the first three months. Don't just put it to side if you go, well, I gave it a go and I didn't get very far. You've got to keep going. You've got to put energy in over the years. And that's what's going to build the business you want. So the next action. What I'd love you to do, obviously, is to continue listening to the podcast, to give us a review, to share your thoughts, to connect with us. I would love that. Please go to iTunes or wherever you downloaded the podcast and give us a review. That would really help. But what I really want you to do is to think on paper. The one thing I would love you to do after this is pull out a pad and paper, use Evernote, use OneNote, use whatever tool you want on your laptop and start to think on paper. I have written an article on my blog, alandonegan.com, about the best questions for you to journal about and start thinking over. There's a whole host of questions to get you going. Just copy the list of questions off there and start thinking through them. And if you start to think deeply every single day about how you want your future to be, where you want to go, how you want to make money, what makes you happy and where you're going, it is incredible the impact that will have on your life. So I urge you to get out a journal, get out a piece of paper, get out your laptop, get out your phone and use voice type and start journaling now about the future you want to have. Thank you for tuning in to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Come back for the next episode. I'll see you soon. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new, fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with the rebellion, visit choosefi.com slash rebel. Thanks for joining the rebellion.